0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I know that for someone like me, this, this is something that I actually find easy. Even though I have very little skill and talent in the area of the musical stuff, I like it. Um, but if you are not, and if you are a little bit... Um, reticent about that. I just wanna pray for God to open our hearts as we kind of submit to his word. Father, I wanna thank you for your kindness. I wanna thank you for the way in which you minister to all different kinds of people in different kinds of ways. I wanna thank you that you are the head of your church. And I wanna thank you that um, you love her more than I could. I wanna pray for a spirit of receptivity And I want to pray that you would lead me so that I can be faithful to your word and to the leading of your spirit in Jesus' name. So, worship as a concept is more than just singing. Um, We know that uh, God calls us to live lives of worship. um, But this morning, I'm going to be focusing on a very kind of specific area, and that is the area of corporate singing worship. Um, Just very simply, corporate singing worship is commanded in the Bible. It's modeled by Jesus. Very few of us will remember that in the Gospel of Matthew, um, after they had what is known as the Last Supper, there's a very little verse that says, and they sang a hymn and went to the garden. And so even Jesus with his disciples sang hymns. We know that Paul and Silas, they were early apostles of the church. When they were put in prison, they prayed and they sang. Uh, We know the early church sang as they gathered together, and we know that the apostles of the early church said to the gathered church in the local areas, we want you to be able to sing. So in Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 21, I'm reading out of the Common English Bible, Paul says to the Ephesian church, don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Instead, be filled with the Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to each other out of respect for Christ. Just quickly in that, uh, some very quick connections. Number one, um, there's a sense in which he connects being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit in terms of a sense of exuberance. He connects the idea that the focus of our worship is actually God and Jesus Christ, and there's a mutual sense of submission to one another in the context of worship. In the letter to the Colossians, he continues, and he says to them, May the word of Christ, the word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Michael Horton says this, about gathered worship when we gather for public worship it is because we have been summoned that is what church means ecclesia it means the called out ones of god it is not a voluntary society of those whose chief concern it is to share build community enjoy fellowship to have moral instruction for their children rather it is a society of those who have been chosen redeemed called justified are being sanctified until one day they are glorified. That is the key purpose of why we gather. Those other things are not unimportant, but that is not the key purpose of why we gather. And the challenge for us in the context of musical worship is that we are not a singing culture. Israel was a singing culture. They had songs for walking to the temple. They had songs for weddings. They had songs for feasts. They had songs for funerals. They had songs for the harvest. They had songs when someone died. They had songs when someone was born. Every aspect of life in Israel was connected to a song. Did I say it wasn't? Well, clearly I was wrong. It was a musical culture. We, however, thanks Sean, are not part of a musical culture. I grew up in Africa and that was very similar. There were songs for everything. If you were working, you sang a song. If you were walking, you sang a song. I remember literally walking and singing a song in Africa and saying to the, to the guy that we were walking with, what are we singing? Because it wasn't in my language. And he said, we are walking. And I said, no, what, like, what are the words of the song that we're singing? He's like, we are walking. That's. <laughs> Those are the words of the song, we are walking. And so our culture is not like that. The Israeli culture is like that. African cultures, more communal cultures are like that. But we aren't like that. And in fact, in our culture, music is a very individual thing. Um, We have our headphones, right? We, is this, do I need to change this? Is this good? We have our headphones and we carefully curate what we listen to. And so we walk around, even in public settings, we have our headphones on. And so in our culture, there's this sense of like, I want to listen to what I want to listen to. Or what about the concert? Oh, Okay, you can go to a concert with thousands of other people there. But the point of that is your entertainment, whether it's individual with the headphones, or whether it's in the sense of a concert, it's more about entertainment. This has definitely affected our behavior, and our level of expectation when it comes to singing corporate worship. There's perhaps no greater area where we exert personal preference than in the area of the kinds of songs we should sing at church. (laughs) Ordinarily, whatever musical style you have is not a spiritual issue. However, somehow, within the context of church, the songs you like has become a spiritual issue. Now, the the challenge that I want to lay to us is that we need to be more flexible in the form of worship, not its substance. So we will never bend when it comes to the theological statements that are being made in the context of singing worship. But we do need to be a little more flexible when it comes to style. Some of us like loud songs, some of us like deep songs, some of us like short songs, some of us like to linger. and as a body, one of the things that we need to develop with the one another as we sing to one another is a general sense of flexibility. A couple years ago, one of my daughters invited a friend of hers to church. She had not been to church before, she came to church, and so we, she actually asked One of my daughters, she said, why are you guys singing? And so my daughter's like, what do you mean? She said, well, like I've been to a concert and like they sing and we listen, but why are all y'all singing? Like, what is that about? And when when you think about the idea of someone that is unfamiliar with the context of church, walking into church, you would probably anticipate, yeah, I'm probably going to hear someone pray. I'm probably going to hear someone read the Bible. The idea of a group of people actually singing a song is probably one of the most awkward things that someone who walks in will experience. And so the question that hopefully I'm going to answer today is what benefits and why do we participate in corporate singing worship? Simply put, um, it unites us, it's warfare, and it creates a culture or an environment of faith and expectation. So if it unites us, what does it unite us to? Well, firstly, it unites us to Israel. Some of the songs that we sing are over 3,000 years old. I want you to think about that for a second. You know, when Moses was handing over to Joshua and he said, okay, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. You're going to call Joshua. He's now going to be the leader of this. The way that they commemorated that moment was that God said to Moses, write a song. Write a song and teach that to Israel. And everything that has happened so far is in that song. It's in Deuteronomy 30. So the way in which God was shaping the minds of his people was through the law and through the song. Psalm 51 that we sang last week, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression and wash away all my iniquity. I have not learned that song because I've read it a hundred times. I've learned that because I've sung it a hundred times, and it's embedded deeply in my soul. It connects us to Israel. It unites us to Israel. It unites us to the early church. We sing a hymn in our context of Mercy Commons called Be Thou My Vision. We may or may not do it later on. That song is 1,300 years old. That song wasn't written in English. It was, uh, I think it was written in German. I'm not sure. But it connects us to a tradition of men and women that have glorified the name of Jesus for thousands of years. So when we sing these songs, we become part of a greater whole. Not just, not just you as an individual, part of Mercy Commons. Not Mercy Commons, just part of the church that's gathered in Fullerton. But as we sing, we become part of this great, massive body of Christ. It also unites us to ourselves, because music integrates our mind, our body, and our soul. Karen was asking me the other day, she's like, because both of us were, were not very musical, she's like, what is it about music that it doesn't matter whether you're musical or not, you've got to start moving something, whether it's your toe, or you're sitting in the car and you see the guy, you know, tapping on the window. There's something about music that engages you in a way that is different from everything else. And singing worship has the ability to integrate your mind in terms of the lyrics that you're singing, your body in terms of your movement to the music, and your soul, because there's something unique about the way that music captures us. Sometimes our relationship with God becomes functional and intellectual and academic, and we discuss God like He's some kind of theological orb that kind of we can maybe poke at, but never really know. But the reality is, is that we worship a risen King Jesus, that we can have a relationship with Him, that He's invited us into a relationship that says, I want to speak to you, I want to engage your mind, your soul, and your body. We are not part of a group of people that have ascended to a bunch of intellectual ideas. We are the body of Christ. He is our head, and He wants to speak to us. And one of the ways that He does that is through igniting our imagination our intellect, and our body when we sing these songs. Some of them might be very descriptive. Some of them might be very simple. But the way in which those men and women have arranged the words makes it powerful and memorable and emotional. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I mean, I know you sit there and you think, Okay, that sounds a little weird, but it's a metaphor. Part of the challenge that we're in is that when we hear those words, we can fall into two kind of traps, and the one trap is familiarity breeding contempt. Wouldn't you show the lyrics of the song? We've sung this multiple times, but I want you to read these slowly. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry, right there in the back, to final breath, it's Jesus who commands my destiny. No power of hell, nor scheme of man, will ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Sometimes what we need to do is slow down and, sit and, and allow the power of those words to soak in us. And then when we sing it, we add that dimension where it just sits deep in our soul. I remember a time in, my, um, in, in our family where Karen would just have that on repeat and she would go out. And she would say, I want to know that nothing can clutch me. Nothing can take me from his hand. No power of hell, no scheme of man will ever take me from his hand. Whatever I'm going through, I know that he is present. So we, we become familiar with the songs that we sing. We become familiar with these, with, with these scriptures. And, and when there are new songs or new versions or new tags, where Patrick and the team actually enlighten us, we're like, oh, I like that song. Yeah, it's a tag from a hymn that is a thousand years old, you know? And we're like, oh, we're singing something new. In a sense, we are. But in a sense, we're not. It's where the ancient joins with the current. And there's the sense of explosion in our souls. I think part of our challenge as well is that we become a little judgmental, because we become maybe a little critical of these modern songs. Um, like I said, the Psalms, the hymns, they often have metaphors and illusions that don't make sense, or that make us uncomfortable, you know. I mean, Psalm 81 says, but I would feed you with the finest wheat, and I would satisfy you from, with honey from a rock. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in Psalms that makes no sense to me. The lament Psalms, they're pretty crazy. You have plowed over me. My back bears the mark of a a plower. I mean, that's intense. We become a little worried about those. Now, let me say this there's no excuse for wrong theology, and we will not. As a leadership team, what we do is we guard theology not just in the way in which we preach but in the songs that we sing. But we do need to develop a width of emotion when it comes to not just engaging God cerebrally but emotionally as well. Psalm 56 verse 8 uh, is one of my favorite verses, but it's not actually connected to any deep theological trait of God other than His kindness. You have recorded my wanderings. You have put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? So, Nick, is there like a, is it like, does God have a book for us? I, I don't think so. Like, is there a bottle for each of us? No, I don't think so. Well, then why are we singing the song? Well, because it's a poetic way of God saying, there is nothing in your life that you are going through where you feel totally alone and isolated that I do not know about. That's what God is saying in a unique and poetic way. Now, we can't be scared of emotion but we also can't be driven by emotion. And in the context of this community, our leaders have said, we will not manipulate you, but we will help you to engage your emotions through the idea of singing. And that's why theologically accurate and emotionally engaging arrangements are so powerful. Because when you put those two together, we engage our mind, our body, and our soul. And finally, not finally, finally of that point, all you guys are like, really, we're done? <laughs> it unites us to each other. We are so different. We, we like different songs. We like different genres of music. Uh, different things appeal to us at different times. That's why one of Patrick's goals is, is to sing, uh, to mix up the diet of hymns, original songs that we sang this morning, popular songs. It's about a breadth and a width of... Experience. But whatever our individual experience is, whatever our culture, whatever our personality, what we are doing when we are singing in unison is we are declaring a truth, one united, unshakable truth about God. It doesn't matter whether you can sing, it doesn't matter whether you can't sing. It doesn't matter whether you can hold a tune, it doesn't matter whether you can't. It doesn't matter whether you like the style of the song. Together what we're doing is we're united in our ability to collectively share this truth regardless of the experience that we're in. There's also an exclusivity to this. Because as Sean was saying, the reason that we can sing with a sense of intensity and connection is because we have been rescued. How does someone that hasn't been rescued sing about being rescued? How does someone that doesn't have their sin blotted away sing about the joy of having that? There is an exclusivity about that. I want to give you an example before we show this clip. Just uh, give you some background. Um, When you play rugby you play against, from one nation against another nation. And um, so they sing the national anthem of the one nation and they sing the national anthem of the other nation. And in this situation, they are singing in Paris, in the Stade de France, and they have just sung the visitor's national anthem. And they have, you, you know, the poor guy who's supposed to sing the national anthem. I don't know, the, I, I feel like they never do a good job, but anyway, they do that. So they had someone sing the visiting team's national anthem, and then they shut off the sound, and then they have the stadium sing the national anthem of France. I would venture to guess that not a lot of those rugby players would say they're emotional uh, in a sensitive way. I'd venture to guess that no one is going up to those guys saying, you didn't really sing in key. You know, uh, what's that American Idol thing? A little pitchy dog, whatever, you know? (laughs) You know what I love about that is those guys are there, and and they're different, right? Some of them are like, I don't know what the words are to the song. Some of them, there was one guy from Ireland, every time he would just throw up. His emotions would just get too much and he didn't know what to do, and he would just throw up a national anthem. But this is what's happening. In that moment, in that moment it doesn't matter who we are, what culture we are, we are saying one thing, we're French and we're singing our national anthem. And there's a sense of power in that. How much more powerful when we gather as a community And we're saying, it doesn't matter whether we're male or female, it doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Greek, what matters is there is a God that deserves our worship. And it doesn't matter how I sing, it doesn't even matter if I mess up the words, the reality is I am standing here making a united declaration of an absolute truth that Jesus is king. Much more powerful than a national anthem. So we do that, we recognize that we are brothers and sisters united by this bond. I've been, I've had the privilege of traveling to many nations, and Karen has been with me. And one of the things that happens to Karen when we're in Cambodia or when we're in China, and she listens to people in a language she doesn't understand, worshiping Jesus, she just becomes overcome with emotion. There is not a corner of the world where the name of Jesus is not glorified. And so she is, well, she's not a musical person, but she is like, there's a a scripture that says the rocks and the trees will cry out. Uh, When Jesus walks in, in, in the triumphal entry, and the Pharisees say to him, tell your disciples to be quiet, because this is a little inappropriate here, Jesus says the rocks and the trees will cry out. Uh, There was a songwriter in South Africa that wrote this amazing song. He said, ain't no rock going to cry in my place. Ain't no tree going to lift his hands. I'm going to lift his voice. And so there's this sense of saying, God, I'm not just part of this community when I raise my voice. I'm part of a community of a billion people that have said, Jesus, you are worthy of my worship. It's warfare. It unites us. It's warfare. This was an Old Testament reality, okay? There are historical accounts of Israel singing, declaring the name of of Yahweh, and then God coming in power and obliterating the enemy. Now, we are not gonna experience that, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say we're not going to experience. It's unlikely that we will experience that. But what it does show is there's an element in which God is engaged on behalf of our enemies. Now, enemies, our enemies are different. Our enemies are shame. Our enemies are distraction. Our enemies are complacency. But the reality is, is that it is warfare. The mere fact that you are here is warfare. Your presence alone is warfare. The mere fact that you choose to open your mouth and declare the greatness of God. Is warfare. Worship declares our need for God, which demolishes our pride. Worship declares that our circumstances and our feelings are subject to the magnificence of God. Now, this is a little complex. Because, as I've said before, our emotions can be reefs or rudders. They can be reefs that are hidden from us, that we run our ship aground. Or they can be rudders that determine the direction of our lives. Neither one of those things are good. Now, emotions are not unimportant. They shouldn't be ignored, and they shouldn't be covered over. But it's in the context of worship where they take their rightful place. That's why the hymn book of the Bible and the Psalms is full of lament Psalms. There are Psalms in the Bible where, where he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, where are you? I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you don't hear me. I feel like all my enemies are, um, are overwhelming me. So there's a truth and a reality to the way in which we express ourselves to God. We did a series two years ago, going through the, Lam- uh, the Lamont Psalms. <laughs> Hello, Lamonts. <laughs> My family's visiting here from Texas, so um, their name is Lamont. Anyway, um, uh, it was for some of us an awkward time where we did four weeks in the Lament Psalms. And the reality is a lot of the time when we come into corporate worship there's very little space for lament, corporately. Um, And what we're trying to do is actually fill that out. No one's asking you to put a mask on. No one's asking you to come in here and pretend that everything is okay. Like Patrick said, when we sang that song over people that couldn't, I know that I've been in the context of worship here and in other contexts, where I've just raised my hands and I've just allowed the Spirit of God to soak into me as the body worships Jesus where I'm just unable to open my mouth, because if I open my mouth, it's just gonna be some kind of weird wail that comes out. And I can say, God, I'm here, part of a body, and your body is ministering to me. I've had times where my emotions have been exposed to me in the context of worship. And I've had times where I've been healed in the context of worship. And I can tell you this, they've all not been neck focused. It's all been in times where I'm suddenly lift my head and I see the greatness of my God, not ignoring the situation that I'm in, but see the greatness of my God. And there are times where I look around and I'm just overwhelmed by the power of what worship does. There are times where I look around and I see someone worshiping, and I remember that a year ago they lost their baby. There are times where I look and I see someone worshiping and I know they're going through massive financial upheaval. There are times when I look and I know that this is the anniversary where someone lost their husband. And they're here, and they're worshiping Jesus. There is a power to that that is so significant that we have the opportunity to taste of. Creates an environment of faith and expectation. Like I've already said, sometimes the reason that we worship is for the sake of others. Psalm 122 verse 8 says, For the sake of my family and friends, I say peace Be with you, Jerusalem. This is a psalm of ascent. This is a psalm that was being sung by the Jewish nation as they were making their way to Jerusalem, because in those days the only way that they could engage with the presence of God was to be in Jerusalem and to be in the temple. And so what this guy is saying is, For the sake of my friends and my family, I say, Peace be with you. Our joy is multiplied when we are joyful, in the context of singing worship, and our pain is divided when we sing. We hear God on behalf of others. This is one of kind of the more tricky things in terms of your church traditional culture. Now, because we know that God's word is the basis and foundation of everything we do, that is why we believe that God speaks to and through us. It's not and. It's not we believe the Bible and we believe God speaks to us. Because we believe the Bible, we know that God speaks to His children. And most of us um, are at different times of kind of whether we're present, whether we're attentive, or whether we're expectant. And that's just in really three simple things. Number one, I can't hear God on behalf of others if I'm not physically present with others. I can't hear God on behalf of others if I'm not emotionally present and I can't hear God on behalf of others if I'm not spiritually present. Dallas Willard says this, Perhaps we do not hear the voice of God because we don't expect to hear it. But perhaps we don't expect it because we know that we fully intend to run our lives on our own and never seriously consider anything else. The voice of God would therefore be an unwelcome intrusion into our plans. Yeah. Now, that is obviously talking about hearing the voice of God for you personally. But part of the reality is we need to come to the realization that sometimes we live our lives as functional atheists. Yes, I believe God. Yes, I believe He's raised from the dead. Yes, I believe that I can have a personal intimate relationship with Him. But I'm not going to slow down my life so I can hear Him. I'm not going to slow down my life so that maybe He can say something I don't want Him to say. And I'm certainly not going to slow down my life to the point at which I would be expectant of him using me to speak to my brothers or sisters. Now, those are not conscious thoughts we have, guys. I'm pretty sure no one in this community is thinking that consciously. But by our behavior and by our posture, maybe those are some of the things that we engage in. Dallas Willard calls Words, phrases, sentences, or images that God would show us, both in the context of prayer, corporate worship, devotion, I love this, as gracious incursions into our soul. These are grace incursions into our soul. And so these are subjective, and that's part of the problem. Uh, they're, they're slippery, but they are a way in which God communicates with us. Sam Storm says that if we ignore this topic, and this topic being the topic of gifts and God speaking to His church through His people, we ignore God. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God Himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working His sovereign and gracious purposes through us. This is why leadership is important. This is why, as elders and leaders, we don't just let anyone say anything. There is a sense within the context of this community, if you feel like God is wanting you to share something, you've probably seen one of the people that is hosting the meeting with a microphone. And that microphone is hurdle number one, right? Um, Because basically what that person is doing, not basically, what that person is doing is gone to the person that is hosting the meeting and saying, this is what I'm sensing God saying. That person's job, the host is to actually be in tune with God and discern whether this is something of corporate value, whether this is something understandable, whether it's something that is Jesus-focused, and to be able to give a response. Now, many of you have been in our corporate gathering where that has happened. Some of you may have been in corporate gatherings where that has just been a mess. And some of you may have been out of gatherings where that never happens. Because you know what? Another you know way to keep a very, very neat house... Is for no one to enter it That's how you get a neat house. You know what makes a house messy is when lots of people are in it children. and children, yes. OK <laughs> I didn't want to say that. That is true though, you know So you can decide do you want something that is neat and dead, or do you want something that is a little messy and alive? Now that's where leadership. Is important. That's where leaders have to look at the idea of timing, of, of direction. And that's where a leader will ask about the clarity of your own soul. Now, Spurgeon, and you put that quote up there, Spurgeon was not known as an emotional man. Okay, um, But he says, I would sooner risk the dangers of a tornado of religious excitement than see the air grow stagnant with dead formality. Now listen, if you've heard him, it's pretty stagnant. Let me just tell you. He's, he's, you know what I mean? He's, he's not like a very emotional person. But even him, as someone that is not an emotionally driven person, is saying there is something missing when what we are aiming for is this kind of order. Now, the Bible does talk about order. But there's order in a cemetery. Right? There's a lot of order in a cemetery. Everyone's lined up. There's nice, cute. How... But there's also order in a nursery. And when you go to the hospital, you see all those babies lined up like that. Everyone's in there. I remember when Keona was born, I was looking there, and someone came next to me and said, where's our baby? I said, look at the size of that one. She, she, she was 10 pounds when she was born. That's right. You go, girl. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 says this, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil." Now listen, if you hold fast to what is good, that implies what? That there are things that are not good. So even there, there is this understanding that we need to test something. So we're talking about an environment where people are being prayed for, people are being raised from the dead, people are being healed, people are getting prophetic visions about famines. Even in that context, Paul is saying, there are, there's probably some stuff that you should not hold fast to. Test everything. But there is never a time where he says, don't do it. Even the Corinthian church, that was a mess. Paul never says, don't do it. But says, everything must be done in order. Now, depending on your church tradition, you're going to emphasize one of two words. If you come from a charismatic tradition, you're going to emphasize, everything must be done in order. If you come from a more cessationist background, you're going to emphasize everything must be done in order. And the Bible says everything must be done in order. What is the best kind of order? Whatever is spoken, whatever is preached, whatever word comes, that it is ultimately lifting up the nature and person of Jesus Christ. Because in Revelation 19, John says that I fell at his feet to worship him. He's talking about an angel, but he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. This is an angel that has delivered to John the revelation of what is going to happen at the end times. John begins to worship him, and the angel says, Don't do that. So we don't worship the person who brought the revelation. We don't lift them on a pedestal. We don't say, Wow, this person is amazing. And you and your brethren, uh, sorry, and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, what are we to do? Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. With humble anticipation, we can step in to this idea that God speaks to me. That the way in which God speaks to me will never contradict the word of God. Because we are anchored in the scriptures. It is the first and most potent filter that we can authenticate whether someone is hearing from God or not. Because let me say this, something can be weird but not wrong. Something cannot be weird and be wrong. So whether something is weird is not a test. What we test is against the biblical accuracy in terms of Scripture and ultimately whether Jesus is being glorified, whether God's people are being ministered to. So can we as a people with humble anticipation, with God awareness, self-awareness, and other awareness, say this, Holy Spirit of God, you are a Christ-clarifying spirit. You live in me. And I want to open my heart to be able, number one, to hear from you in my everyday life. And number two, I want to be able to open my heart to hear from you on behalf of my brothers and sisters. Band, will not you come up? As we said, the reason that we've gone through the one another's is not so that we can tick them off. If you're not in a life group, please get in a life group. We're going through loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, teaching one another. And so this morning, we're going to give some more extended time on the back end to worship God and singing. But we're also going to say, I do believe, and as we've been praying as the leadership team, and we know that there are people that God has gifted with different revelatory gifts, we're going to take a bit of a risk. And we're going to take a little risk. And we're going to say, if you have something that you want to share with the community. If you have a word of encouragement, if you have a word of exhortation, come and talk to me or Sean. This is what I want all of us to do. I want us, because the Bible says that, I want us to ask, God, will you speak to me? Not just for this gathering. God, will you speak to me? I also want you to have a sense of expectation that God, you will speak to me. I want us to ask I want us to expect this is critical. I want us to relax. I don't want anyone to feel any sense of weight, any sense of I'm, this must happen. God loves you, cares for you. He knits you in your mother's womb. He knows your personality. God is not going to embarrass you. That's not the point of this. I want you to ask I want you to expect with a heart full of faith and expectation, I want you to relax, and I want you to risk. I want you to say, God, I know where I am. I know I'm loved. I know that I'm in a secure space. And if you're a visitor, you're in a secure space. You have to take my word for that. And I want us to do it in two ways. As the band starts um, leading us into worship. Ask God, is there someone in this congregation that you have given me a word, a vision, an encouragement for that I can go directly to that person and encourage? Now, hear me. I want you to ask for permission, and I want you to be sensitive. And If you do that, go and say, Hey, Priscilla, I feel like God is using me to speak to you this morning. Do you mind if I pray for you? That person, Priscilla, has every right to say no, thank you. No one is gonna be forced into anything, giving or receiving. But I do want us to ask, I do want us to expect, I do want us to relax, and I do want us to take a risk. will not you close your eyes? Our singing, our hearing, and our encouraging of one another is what separates us from a preaching center. It separates us from a club, It separates us from a social action group. It separates us from a political group. Our humble expectation of the tangible presence of God as we worship our King, the operation of the gifts in submission to His all-sufficient Word is what will fuel our spiritual formation and our mission to this world. Jesus, I want to thank you for your sacrifice. Spirit of God, I want to thank you for your presence. Father, I want to thank you that you are in control. Triune God, we want to engage with you intentionally with faith and expectation. I pray that as we sing to you that you would speak to us and through us for your glory's sake and in your name.
1: Friends, it's it's good to be with you. Um, my name is Joey um, and I'm a member. Um, and I love you guys. Um, yesterday I was just spending time with Jesus and, partially just praying for myself um, and just started praying for you guys, um, just imagining you and thinking of you. Um, and I was reading in Isaiah 61, and I, and I ended my time just rewriting um, part of that and kind of just wanted to speak it over you guys, um, to you, um, just a time for you to receive it. And it says, The Lord God's Spirit is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me, and I get to bring good news to the poor. I get to bind up the brokenhearted. I get to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners. I get to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God. I get to comfort all who mourn. I get to provide for Zion's mourners. I get to give them a crown in place of ashes. I get to give them oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. And and this is where I I landed with. I just felt like God saying, and this is why. This is the, the beauty of it is. And I get to watch as they will be called oaks of righteousness. Because they will be planted by the Lord to glorify Himself. And I get to watch. I get to watch as you rebuild the ancient ruins. I get to watch as the deserted places are restored and I get to see ruined cities renewed. Yeah, where places that were once deserted are now, they now have life.
2: Thank you, Joey. We're going to respond to that. Um, and here, here's how I'd like to, to do that. Um, I want to give us permission to move around the room. If there is something that um, you have felt for someone in the room, um, I want to release you to be able to move around and, uh, and share that and ask the way that Nick uh, gave us instruction. But I also was feeling very specifically um, uh, Psalm 24, which is what I read at the beginning um, at the close of our our previous worship, I sat this morning, John Mark asked me how I was doing, and I said, I'm I'm doing well, really well. And he's like, why are you doing well? It's it's a good question, right? Like, is that a pat answer, Sean, or are you actually doing well? And uh, I was sitting with the Lord this morning in the very first verse of that psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and I was looking up at the clouds and I heard a leaf blower many miles away and the honks and I just was like, the earth is so full and like all of it is yours, but you're sitting with me. And that Jesus is here to sit with you right now. If you're someone who has struggled believing that, that god can speak to you maybe it's not a part of your tradition maybe it's you've seen it abused and i don't i i want the church to respond to pray over you just that god would meet you and so if that's you i want to ask you to do a courageous thing and lift your hand in the air what i'm going to ask is that people around you step into what joey just read and get to get to bring that type of healing i want to release you just for a few minutes we'll close close to on time here (laughs) Uh, but to rally around those people and to pray over them as the band continues to lead us in worship you can even just lay hands on them and sing that's part of what part part of what we're talking about today and I also want to release you if you have a specific word for someone this is a great time to go and share that go ahead We're, uh, we're going to draw to a close here in a moment. But I, Neil just shared something with me that I'd love for him to share. And then he's going to be available to pray. And we're going to have a couple of other people that are on the side. If you need extra prayer, if you didn't receive prayer, get prayer before we close today. And then I'm going to, I'm going to close us. And we're still going to hang out in the back, okay? But Neil, why don't you come?
3: Thanks, Stu. This is personal, and I've just been kind of sitting on it this morning, but um, as we were praying this morning, I just heard the word surrender and was thinking about what that could mean. And I'm in a very interesting season in life. It is good, but it is, it's very interesting. Uh, and one of the things I realized last week, I was sitting with a brother and just catching up, and I've kind of looked at, like these lists I make about desired outcomes. I hope this goes this way. I really hope it does not go this way. And in this season, I've just noticed that I really hope it doesn't go this way has been God's will for me. And I I don't say this in a discouraging way. There has been disappointment. But what I want to share with you, and the reason I'm up here talking is because I believe I'm not alone. I believe that's something this I'm This is something God is doing to some of his children that need this kind of help. It has felt a lot like, where I'm like, Dad, I am really afraid of what's under the bed. And so he gets me out of bed. He says, let's go look at it. And he turns on the lights, shows me everything as I walk into the place that I'm afraid of. And he says, my boy, you have nothing to fear. Guys, fear distracts us. Worship is about attention. I think there was people here with a prophetic word from God that were fearful to give it. I've been there. Maybe last week when it was time to repent, it was fearful of what others may think. And I just want to encourage you. um, The world is desperate for the love of God. And we need to rid ourselves of every single distraction, including the fears. So if you think, if you're facing something fearful in life, I would just love to pray the reality that I've been experiencing recently. We have nothing to be afraid of. God will turn on the lights and show you what's really there, and it's nothing to be afraid of.
2: Like I said, if you need prayer for anything, um, there's going to be some people off to my left, to your right. Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that uh, this life is not um, something that we have to walk on our own. You did not leave us as orphans, you sent us a spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, we appreciate you, teach us. Continue to point us to the things that Jesus taught and continue to point us to his Lordship. Would you open us up this week Would we be attentive? Would I be attentive, Lord, that you want to sit with me, that you want to sit with us? You have things to show us. If there's things we're afraid of, you can dispel them. You are the the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies. There is nothing that you're afraid of. And we are with you. We love you as best we know how. And the church said, amen.